Open up your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. I want to ask you, uh, if you will, Easter is coming, and um, so it won't be long. I want to ask some of you who are regulars, who are young enough, fit enough, if you're not already doing it, to do uh, what I'm doing, not that I'm young enough and fit enough, but I'm doing it anyway, uh, is to park on the outer edges of our property, to park with me up on the dam or others up on the dam. I'll park in new territory right across the street there. Now I'm going to pick up, so I don't mind if it gets a little on it, but if you can do that with us, that'll really help us. It's hard to find a parking spot. Please remember also, I'm going to ask you not to park in our guest parking spots uh, with Easter coming, particularly if you're not a, a guest. Um, uh, those are reserved. So please, please, let's think of others more than ourselves and do that. That'll just help us. Uh, we're struggling for seats and room and everything else. That's good problems to have, and we're working on solving them. But would you help me with that, please? Let's just get kind of fresh on it. And remember, we talked about it a lot uh, when it first came, but we need kind of time to talk about it again. Spring is coming. Also, on March 19th, um, we're going to have a great, great guest speaker with us. Dr. George Robinson is going to be here. He is a professor of missions and evangelism at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's been a dear friend of mine for years. He's a fantastic preacher. Is the author of Striking the Match, a book about how God is using ordinary people to change the world through short-term missions. He, uh, Dr. Robinson, you'll love him now. He's a plain guy, but he has, and he's a younger fellow, but he has worked in Bangladesh, Cambodia, Cuba, Guatemala, India, Mexico, Panama, Peru, Pakistan, was a missionary to Pakistan for some time, uh, so he had, uh, and China, so he has been literally all over the world, and I just talked with him yesterday. He's going to be here on March 19th, so just be ready for that. That's going to be good. Um, and I wonder if we could, uh, just for a minute, if you would pray with me for somebody. Uh, seems like a lot of people in our church have been hurting. Mike Townsend had an accident yesterday. His wife's usually on this keyboard right over here, and uh, or piano. Uh, he cut himself with a power saw and uh, on his leg, but he's okay. He's going to be all right. Uh, didn't cut anything severe. No big nerves. No no big vessels. Anything like that. They just kept him overnight. He has other health problems, so they just wanted to watch him. A lot of other folks, uh, you know, that I just dare not start mentioning. I know his was just, but we just have so many folks who are sick uh, and hurting right now. And then about five minutes, uh, I'm just kind of wrecked right now. I'll be honest with you. About five minutes before the service starts, I was standing back there talking with John Thomas and. My phone started buzzing, and I got a call from some dear friends of mine for years and years, uh, uh, Donna and Troy Baker, and uh, they are at CMC right now. They've got a daughter named Sophie, I'm guessing, I'm, I'm just guessing, 12 years old, somewhere in that range, maybe a little older sometimes, it evades me. Uh, she's been in a chair all of her life, really suffered, can't walk, nonverbal, uh, wanted a hug from me every Sunday. And they just called me. I had no idea. Uh, said she's dying. And um, so, yeah, that's a tough one. 
And uh, so I will, once I finish here today, I will leave and go immediately to the hospital. So you'll forgive me now if I don't have time for conversation today. Please do. If you're a guest, I, I want to talk with you. If you're a member, I want to talk with you. But I just won't be able to do it today, all right? Uh, she's a little, a little sweetheart to me. And God used uh, her dad in a powerful way in my life. And, uh, and seeing him just set free and delivered and uh, it's been a been a they're just a sweet family, and um, they don't. Not a lot of folks call me like that, but they they did, and so I, I love them, and and I want you to. Would you join me? Could we just pray for little Sophie right now, Father? We just uh, come before you because things like this just hurt our hearts, and uh, yeah, I think I know now, Lord, why you. <clears throat> kind of led me in this direction for this message today, change direction. And it's just amazing how you work. And so, Lord, we pray for little Sophie. We ask that her journey into heaven, Lord, would be, a, would be a, a, an easy one. Her life here, Lord, has not been. You know that. I can't tell you anything that you don't already know, Lord. You've taken care of her, and you will take care of her. For the first time, she's going to be able to stand up straight. She's going to be able to talk. And she'll see you face to face. And I really do thank you for that, Lord. I am so happy that she's going to be with you. But I can't imagine what Troy and Donna have gone through all these years to raise her and care for her. I've witnessed it and seen it a lot, Lord. And I know they're tired. And I know they're vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy because of that weakness. And Lord, I ask that you would surround them. We ask that you would really surround them right now. Protect them, Lord. Guard them, put strong angels, Lord, around them to keep the enemy away. May your peace and your presence fill that room just like a thick fog almost would cover the ground. May your presence be so clear and so strong that the enemy would have to flee and that only you could be seen and felt and, and your peace passes all understanding would be theirs. We lift them up to you. We thank you, Lord, that we're never alone because of the gospel. We thank you that as Christians, as followers of Christ, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and they are safe. And we thank you, Lord, for the sure hope that's ours through Christ and in Christ. That nothing can separate us from your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, if you would, I want to look at you this, with you this morning at 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 12. I, I read, you know Adrian Rogers was my hero of faith. Uh, while he was here on this earth, I got to meet him many times. He, he was always a as far as I'm concerned, the greatest preacher certainly that's lived in our lifestyle, uh, lifetime. And um, 
And so I read him all the time. I listen to him all the time. We all have our heroes. But I read this recently, and I thought, I've got to share this with the church. I didn't know when I would. But then today, it seemed like something led me just to share this. So I got really, really early and just began to work on it. So I'm going to share it with you. Uh, hopefully, it will be a blessing to you. It's a passage, uh, a part of the Bible, from the Apostle Paul writing it, where he deals with the problem of pain and suffering and sorrow, heartache, and sickness. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to read a good bit of Scripture, but I, I want you to just listen to this. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, one of the leaders of the early church, I think the greatest Christian that ever lived that we know of, says this in verse 1, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. What, what he's saying, literally the construction says this, because that sentence always confuses me. Here's what it means in the original language. It's necessary, but it's not profitable for me to boast. You got it? Like, it's necessary. I have to do it here. He's writing to a church, and he's got to instruct them. But he says it's necessary, but it's not profitable for me, like, to brag. And I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Look at verse 2. I know a man, now he's talking about himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body or uh, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows. But such a one, he says, this man, speaking of himself in third person, was caught up into the third heaven. Now, I don't know if you know what the third heaven is. Let me just give you that. Here it is. You have... The heavens, where we might say all the birds, the first heaven, all the birds of heaven, like this is our atmosphere, the inner atmosphere, that's what we would call the first heaven, where the birds fly in our atmosphere. The outer atmosphere, the rest of the universe, where the stars and all the sun and everything is, that's what would be referred to as like all the stars of heaven in the Bible, that's the second heaven. The third heaven is the dwelling place of God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, okay, so... Nothing mysterious about that. That's just, he said it. But this guy wants you to know, he wasn't just caught up in the heaven, like where the birds are. He wasn't just caught up where the moon is or the sun is. He caught up into the third heaven, the dwelling place of God. And I know, he says in verse 3, such a man. Again, I love the way he says this. Whether it's the body or the body, I don't know. God knows. He had this mysterious experience. He says how he was caught up into paradise. And he heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I do not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to brag or to boast about this, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, now here's why I don't do it, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. So he's like, I don't want to brag about that experience too much because you might think more of me and you might than what you see and hear. And he says, now look at this in verse 7, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of those revelations, the things that he saw, the things that he heard, they're inexpressible things, he says this, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. 
lest I should be exalted above measure. And concerning this thing, the thorn in the flesh, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, here's the Lord's answer, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength, the Lord's strength, is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, Paul says, because of that, because the Lord's grace is sufficient, and because the Lord's strength is made perfect in weakness, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my what? Infirmities rather than the visions he had. You see? I will rather boast in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ might rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. I take pleasure in reproaches. I take pleasure in having needs, in being persecuted, in distresses, for Christ's sake. Why? For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now, all of us, I didn't know when I was typing this out and putting black print on white page today, I didn't know that I was going to get that phone call. That's the way life is. You can be feeling pretty good, and then you get a phone call, and everything's changed. But I didn't know, but all of us experience that. All of us hurt from time to time. And it's good to me to know that in Scripture we're told that the great Apostle Paul hurt. And here what you have is a glimpse into his prayer life because of that hurt and into the workings of his heart and how he endured something for a long, long, long time. And Paul knew what it was to suffer. And uh, I know that I've already read one long passage of Scripture, but I feel that it might be better if I just back up just a little bit and kind of give you a few of the verses that set the background uh, for this passage. One of the things that we're passionate about at Calvary is not that you just leave here feeling great and pumped up and yes, woohoo, and amen. But we want to make sure that we all understand God's Word. <clears throat> That we understand our Bible. So if you just have your Bible, or if you don't look on with someone else, go right back to chapter 11, probably won't even have to turn a page, and just look at verse 24 through 33. In verse 24, Paul was talking about the things he had suffered. Now this is prior to talking about the other stuff that we just read. And uh, so he says in verse 24, these are some of his sufferings. From the Jews, these are the Jewish leaders, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. So he had been whipped five times. 39 stripes is what it was. They, the reason they said 39 was because 40 was the number that somehow they had determined would kill a person. So they wanted to take a person as close to the point of death as they could without killing them. Five times he's been whipped. For preaching the gospel. In labors, uh, look, look what he says uh, in verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. That's a different type of beating that he had taken. Once I was stoned. And, and when Paul was stoned, they stoned him. Not with little stones, but they pick up big rocks. They bash them on your body. I've seen a stoning. And they, they hit your head as hard as they can and all your body. And they... The intent of stoning is absolutely unequivocally to kill. It's not to injure, it's to kill. I believe 
this could be the time when Paul was, was caught up into uh, the third heaven and had this vision because the Bible says he was lying on the ground, was outside of Lystra when he was stoned. We're going to study the life of the ministry of the Apostle Paul soon once we finish John on Wednesday night. But we'll see this. And he's lying on the ground. And it says, as the disciples, though, stood around him. They think they were just standing there. No, they were praying. That Paul got up. Well, you don't just get up after a stoning. And not only do you not just get up after a stoning, you don't do exactly what he did. And then he led the team and he walked on foot 30 miles uh, to the next city. If you do the... The geography on it. So he, he gets up after being stoned and he walks 30 miles. I couldn't walk 30 miles if I hadn't been stoned. <laughs> so supernatural healing, you see. But anyway, he says, I, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times sailing on ships, the shipwrecked. A day and a night, he said, I've, I've been in the deep. In other words... This, one of the shipwrecks, he said, I spent a whole day and a whole night floating in that salt water of the Mediterranean getting pickled. I mean, you can imagine that. A day and a night floating in the ocean. <laughs> suffering. And journeys often in perils of water, uh, in perils of robbers, people just robbing him. In perils of my own countrymen. Those were the Israelites, the Jews, who thought he was a turncoat, who thought he had turned their back on them. Really, he just found the Messiah and was trying to tell them. And perils of the Gentiles. And these were pagan religions that he went out and told them about the truth. And perils in the city. He wasn't safe in the city. And perils in the wilderness. He wasn't safe in the wilderness. And perils in the sea. And perils among false brothers. That must have been the toughest one. People who claimed to be Christians. Hurting him and coming against him and trying to disprove his apostleship. And weariness and toil and sleeplessness. He said, there were nights I couldn't sleep. Often nights. And hunger and thirst. Now, later on, this, he, he says, basically, oh, you, some people want to be apostles. He, they claim apostleship. He said, you want to be an apostle? This is what being a, an apostle is. And hunger and thirst. And fastings often. And cold. And what? Nakedness. Not having clothes. Besides all those things, what comes on me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. Paul had a deep concern for the churches that he had pastored and started. And he was burdened about all those people. Who is weak and I am not made weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, he says... Uh, I will boast in the thing which, things which concern my infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he brings God to bear. This is awesome. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. And Damascus, the governor, under Arteus, the king, was guarding the city of the, uh, Damascus with a garrison. Now look at this. Desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in a wall, and I escaped his hands. Now, I cannot imagine, and yet I know it's true, and I'm trying to think about it. Here's the great apostle Paul, a ruler, a leader, a philosopher, a scholar. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling council 
the highest religious and civil group in Israel. And here he is, and they're having to let him down, put him in a basket, get him to ball up and put him in a basket, and they let him down over a wall. Can you, he's hiding, and, and can you think of anything any more humiliating? In order to get out of the city of Damascus, they have to sneak him out, and they have to let him down. They lower him down. Now, here's amazing, kind of an interesting thing. I don't know that I want to make too much of it, but I think it is interesting that in this 11th chapter, it ends with Paul being let down, right? Down on the wall, down the basket. But in the 12th chapter, it begins by showing Paul talking about, but I got caught up into the third heaven. And so his, his being let down in a basket must have been a humiliating thing to his flesh, a disappointing thing to his flesh. But his being caught up must have been extremely exhilarating to his spirit. Must have been amazing and wonderful. And now he starts talking about burdens. And now he starts talking about suffering. And after he mentions all those hurts that he's already had, then he mentions one in chapter 12 that he really hadn't talked about much at all, if at all. Some writers believe he hadn't mentioned this until he wrote this down. Fourteen years. And he's going to talk about a hurt that nobody else has known about, or at least the cause of the hurt. I'm sure they, they could have seen the thorn in the flesh. But it's sort of an inward thing, and it's been a problem that he's dealt with, and he's carried, and he's had it for 14 years, this thorn in the flesh. And he's kept the cause of it and the purpose of it in the background, deep in his heart. And it was this, a vision that he'd had 14 years before he wrote this. And he carried that in his heart, and he hadn't told anybody about it for 14 years. Now, I guarantee you, if that type of vision, and I got caught up into the third heaven today, you'd hear about it tonight. I mean, if it happened to me, I would have probably gone and told. If it happened to us, what we'd probably do is what people say they do today. They go out and write a book about it and get rich on it and go out and find the best publisher. Talk about visiting heaven. It's strange to me, though, about half of it doesn't even line up with the Bible. But... Paul just kept it in his heart, kept it in his mind for 14 years. God had given him a vision. God had taken him and lifted him up to the third heaven. And he saw such visions and such mysteries that, that it was actually, he says, unlawful for me to speak to anyone about. So high had God lifted him up and given him a vision that the danger was that he might become prideful, be exalted above measure is what he calls it. That he might become proud and bragging and boastful about it. Now, I don't believe that he did. Listen, because God stopped him before he could. God ministered to him. And how did God do that? God kept him, defended him, kept him from getting prideful. How? By a thorn in the flesh. You look at it in verse 7. Paul says, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Paul saw this as a gift. Now he says it was a messenger of Satan, but this wasn't. This was God using Satan as much as he can use anybody he wants to use to accomplish his purpose. To buffet me, he says, to beat me is literally the word in the Greek, lest I be exalted above measure. Now see, God had blessed him with tremendous sights and visions of heaven. 
He let Paul see heaven. And God knew that the blessing, that incredible blessing on one hand, had to be balanced with a burden on the other hand. If that blessing wasn't balanced with a burden, Paul would become unbalanced. And he would fall. And listen, the higher you rise, the further you fall. And he had been really lifted up, really given this burden out. Listen, follow me closely. Anyone who has been blessed materially in a big way, anyone who has been blessed physically, with ability physically in a big way, probably understands that our loving Lord may at times counterbalance that blessing with a burden to keep us humble for our benefit, lest we get too prideful. Now, Paul talks about this burden that he has, and he says several things about it. Just real quick, he says, first of all, it was severe. Now, now notice what he says. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. But don't get the idea of a literal thorn, like something on a rose bush, or even a, a bramble, or a briar, or a Middle Eastern thorn. The word that he uses for thorn is a stake. It's a stake. Something that he was impaled on. Something that is vicious. It, it's huge. It's, it's hurtful. This was a pain and a hurt. This thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what it was, but here's what it's, he said. This thing ran me through. It's a figure of speech, but what he's doing is showing the severity of the trial. Like he was impaled, it was severe. And not only was it severe, he says, listen, it was steadfast. In other words, it didn't last a day, two days, a year, a week, or a month. For 14 years, he had been impaled on this stake. For 14 years, he had known this horrible, terrible suffering, physical suffering, and yet the Bible says that it was a gift of God. Now, we don't know for sure what it was. And I really believe it could be in the providence of God that we don't know. Some people believe it was his eyesight, and it certainly could have been. But the problem if that eyesight is a thorn in the flesh, and God had told us it was, and we can guess and speculate. But then only people who now have the thorn of bad eyesight may able to relate with him, but other people couldn't really relate with him. So whatever, we're not told what it is, so whatever thorn you have, you can identify you can get comfortable. And we don't know what it was, but we know Paul hurt. We know he hurt severely, and we know he hurt steadfastly, continually, for a long time. Now, why do we hurt? Why do we hurt? Let me just be real plain with you. Sometimes we hurt because of sin. I mean, sometimes, and sometimes it's because of our sin. We know that sin causes suffering, and there are a lot of people in this church this morning, and a lot of people outside in our world, they're just suffering. Perhaps because of their own sin, their own decisions, and they're eating, uh, the, uh, the, you know, they're eating a bitter, bitter plate of food this morning. The bitter fruit, though, sometimes that we eat is grown on the trees that we plant. Amen. I mean, it really is. We mess up. Sometimes the bitter water that we drink is from wells that we dug. We get ourselves on a lot of stuff. We try to blame the devil for it. But sometimes it's us. Most times it's us. Listen. You need to understand this principle. Suffering follows sin like night follows the day. Absolutely. 
And that might be the reason that some are suffering. But that's not the only reason. Not the only reason. Do you know sometimes we suffer as a... I don't know word is right. I couldn't hardly word it right this morning. As a means, I'm using disciplining in the positive way. Okay, like to correct us. And sometimes we can suffer in our lives as a mean, means of God disciplining us for the purpose of making us stronger, making us better, more effective. And so sometimes suffering can be because of sin, but sometimes it's just God making us stronger. It's the way God... Why does a football coach, why does a soccer coach make you run wind sprints out in the hot sun? Just because he wants to destroy you? Because he wants to tear you down? Because he wants to punish you? No, not really to punish you, but to make you stronger. To make you more effective in the game. And it hurts and it burns and you think you're going to die and your mouth feels like it's got cotton balls in it. But, but it makes, and you suffer, but it makes you stronger. Last week I got the bright idea. I got my bicycle down. It's been up there since we moved. I had to put it down. I got the bright idea. I was going to start riding my bike every day. I was going to get it down. I first had to blow up the tires and uh, put air in the tires. And I went riding. If you know anything about my home, if you've been there, Kim and I are home, well, I went down that big driveway, boys, on a hill. I went down. I took a left. And I started downhill. And I went downhill about a half a mile, three-quarters of a mile. Went down to the cul-de-sac, turned around. Then I started what? <laughs> Coming back home. I didn't even think about it when I hit it the easy way. All uphill coming back. And uh, I tell you, coming back on that bicycle, it was fine for a little while. I just geared that 15 speed down, you know, and boy, my feet were just a pedaling and pedaling and pedaling, and then it got steep, and then it got steep. And I'm telling you, when I rounded the corner near my home, it got a little steeper, and I was dying. I thought I was. I was burning. My legs, Tony, they were just burning. And I, my lungs were burning and I couldn't breathe. And I thought, I cannot believe this. I'm going to have to get off of this thing and push it. <laughs> and I'd rather die than be seen because I knew as soon as I got off that bike and started pushing it up that hill that one of y'all were going to come along and put me on Facebook. <laughs> And I made it all the way, but I'm telling you, I didn't ever have a kickstand or not. I just threw that thing down in the grass, and I got in the house. Got in the A.C. God's climate, you know? But see, the more you do that, then the easier it gets. See, sometimes there's a purpose in mind when you suffer. You keep on. You don't quit because you want to discipline yourself. And you're getting disciplined is what I mean. You're getting trained. And you're being strengthened so you can do better. And many times, God allows us to hurt in order to, to grow us and train us for something He's got for us. It has nothing to do sometimes with sin, but it's just that maybe we're being disciplined or trained, maybe is a better word, and strengthened. You've got to understand that. you got to understand that. Another reason that we suffer, not because of sin, and sometimes it's not because of training or discipline, but if we can suffer in order for God to keep us from sinning. Did you know that? You can suffer in order to keep you from sinning. God will let you do that. And that's exactly what was happening with Paul. Paul was hurting in order to keep him from sinning. Sinning. You remember we read it in verse 7. 
this was given to me, why? Lest I should become exalted above measure, lest I should, you know, if he comes out of that vision and starts bragging, look what I've seen, and you know, nobody else in that people I'd say, boy, have you heard what our pastor saw? Have you, we have got the apostle Paul. He's seen heaven. He's, he knows what it's like, and and, and oh my goodness, it's unbelievable. You gotta hear Paul. You gotta hear Paul talk about heaven. And when they're talking about Paul, they're not talking about Christ. Lest he should be overcome with pride. Now that you've gotten the background very quickly, how do you pray when you're hurting? Because that's what the message is about, remember? How do you pray when you're hurting? Have people say it all the time, hurt so bad, I don't know how to pray. You ever heard anybody say that? You ever said it? Absolutely. Listen, we're going to learn from the Apostle Paul in his prayer life. Three ways, at least, that I'm sure there are more that you can pray when you're hurting. This is what he does. Number one, it's okay to pray these ways. Number one, you can pray when you're hurting to escape the pain. That's okay. You might pray to get rid of the pain. Get rid of that thing and there's nothing wrong with that because the very first thing that comes to my mind when I begin to hurt is to get rid of it, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with that and because we don't yet know what the cause of the hurt or the pain is, typically. So when I really hurt, my first thought is, i got to do something about this pain. It's hurting. And that's how doctors and ERs and you know, drugstores stay in business. Because when we hurt, we want to do something about it. And the sooner the better. And we want fast service. That's a God-given instinct of self-preservation. In fact, self-preservation is the strongest instinct that a man or woman has. It's like uh, to preserve yourself. And, and, and it's like Mark Twain said, if a cat jumps on a hot stove, he won't jump on another one. He won't jump on a cold one either. Self-preservation. And so... It's fine to pray, Lord, take this away. Lord, do it by medicine. Do it by miracle. Lord, do it. But Lord, please get rid of this. And the sooner the better. And if you look at verse 8, you'll see that Paul did this. He prayed this prayer. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord, what? That it might depart from me. So Lord, please take this away. Lord, please take this away. Lord, please take this away. He had this thorn in the flesh. He'd had it for quite a while. And he came to the Lord and said, Lord, will you just take this burden off of me? He prayed once. He prayed twice. No answer. No answer. The third time he prayed, God gave him a reason. But listen, it wasn't the answer he was looking for. Someone said the hardest answer to prayer isn't yes. We like that, right? The hardest answer to prayer isn't no. God says, no, that can be difficult, but it isn't the hardest. You know what the hardest answer to prayer is? Trust me. When you're praying and you're hurting, and God says, trust me. Just trust me. That's a difficult one. See, there wasn't anything wrong with Paul asking for God to take it away. As a matter of fact, Paul's in good company. Three times Paul prayed and asked that his problem taken away. Now listen to me, Christian. Three times you go to the Garden of Gethsemane, three times you'll find Jesus, our Lord, praying that he might not have to endure that bitter cup. Three times the Lord prayed. Father, if it's possible, take this cup away. One time. Two times. 
Two times. Three times the Lord prayed that. But nevertheless, he came to the conclusion what? Not my will, but yours be done. Now, what I'm saying is, is there anything wrong with place praying if you're suffering? I understand some of you are suffering big time. Shoot, I'll be honest with you, just aging itself is suffering. You don't believe it, you just haven't got there yet. Just wait, it's coming. And it isn't fun. It is, amen. It ain't fun. But the Lord, listen. It's not okay to say, it's, I mean, it's okay to say, Lord, help me, I'm suffering. But see, the Lord had a better plan and a higher plan than just alleviating Paul's physical suffering. Now think about it with me. The first thing we say, Lord, take it away. And if he doesn't take it away, we ask him again. And we can continue to ask him until he tells us that's not going to happen. i got something better for you. And then we not only pray to escape suffering, but we also can pray to be able to endure suffering. It's okay to pray, Lord, help me just endure this. As an Israelite, Paul might have prayed to escape suffering. You know, God, you make these promises to us that you're going to put all the plagues on the Egyptians when we left there and you'd never put those plagues on us. And Lord, where are you? Can you take this away? And he probably, but listen, Paul was also a Roman citizen. And as a Roman, see, he might have prayed, Lord, let me endure this. I mean, Romans were tough, and they were known in that day for being their bravery and their endurance and the belief that nothing was really wrong with just enduring immense suffering. And, and he might have prayed that way as a Roman. Uh, I mean, if you can't escape it, you have to endure it, right? <coughs> but here's the danger. Now listen, will you listen to me, please, all of you? Will you, all of you listen to me? Because suffering is, it'll mess with you. It'll mess with you. Amen? Amen. Now listen to me. Here's the danger, though, of enduring it. If you don't watch it, you can become proud even in your ability to endure suffering. So you might pray to escape it. You might pray to endure it. But you have to be careful. Because <coughs> you might get proud of it. You know, there's some folks, boy, you know, you ask them about enduring, they can tell you. Proud of it. Be careful with that, too. But then, I think this is the highest way, and I think this is where Paul came. If you're suffering, you're hurting, you're going through it, pray not only to escape it, pray not only to endure it, but pray to enlist it. E-N-L-I-S-T. Pray that you might enlist suffering. What I mean by that is to bring your pain, that problem, and all your hurts. Enlist it and make it your servant. Now, as a Jew, he might have prayed to escape it. As a Roman, he may have prayed to endure it. But as a Christian, as a Christ follower, he was able to pray to enlist it and make it his servant and use this suffering, this thorn of the flesh for the gospel of Christ and the glory of God the Father. Now, now listen to me. Listen, if I, if I only pray to escape suffering, then I see suffering as an enemy. If I only pray to endure it, 
I see suffering as a master. But if I pray to enlisted, I can see suffering, even my suffering, as a servant. Now look at verse 9. And I'll, you'll see Paul's decision. It's in verse 9. Paul has prayed. And look at verse 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. This is the Lord's answer. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And what does Paul say? Therefore, most gladly, gratefully, will I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I will gladly suffer, he says, because it will make me more like Christ. It will make me stronger. See, doesn't mean that Paul bragged on a sickness. What it, what it means is Paul learning that his weakness could actually become a strength. Now let me get practical with you. I like to boil this stuff down. How do you do that? How do you enlist suffering and make it a servant? How do you go through something heartbreaking? And, 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 and so first of all, you do this. You, 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 you see suffering as a gift from God. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? You're not going to hear this one from the hyper-charismatic Word of Faith teachers on TV. You see suffering as a gift from God. That's what Paul does. Look at verse 7. Paul says, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was what? Given to me. That is, this was a gift. That was given to me. A, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above memory. He said, it was given to me. See, Paul came to the point where he didn't see it as an affliction. He saw it as a gift. He saw it as a gift from God. And God allowed the devil to inflict it to a certain point. But listen to me now. This is not contradictory to the omnipotence of God. Uh, this, uh, where Satan seems to rule or man rules. Listen, God overrules. And he's always working. And I may not see it with my eyes. I can't see how God's going to bring good out of it sometimes. But God will. He doesn't necessarily cause it. And he doesn't necessarily make it happen. But he can allow a lot of things to go on. And the Bible says that he is going to cause all things to work together for good. To those who love God. To those who are called to his purpose. And you see, Paul knew that. Paul, Paul wrote that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans. So Paul knew that nothing could come to him except somehow God allowed it. And it came through, if you will, the filter of the love and omnipotence and will of Almighty God. So you receive suffering as a gift. Uh, you might say, boy, whew, some gift. Yeah, but God, God works through all things, all things. To those who love him. To bring good. Or to call according to his purpose. God doesn't make any mistakes. Amen? God knows where you're at. God's not up in heaven wringing his hand. The Holy Trinity never meets an emergency session. Oh, what are we going to do with Linda? How, look what she's gotten herself in. Look at Jack. Right? Oh my gosh, I forgot all about it. No, 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 that never happens. That never happens. He's in Troll of all things. Amen. I don't understand it. 
that he's in control of all things. Not a blade of grass moves apart from the knowledge of your heavenly father. If you're a believer, somehow, some way, he's working it out for good. The thing itself might not be good, but eventually he'll work it out for good. So you see it as a gift. And you realize the old song that we used to sing all the way, my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here in suffering by faith in him to dwell. And I know whate'er befall me, whate'er befall me, Whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. You just simply receive it as a gift. You don't have to understand. Not understand. Listen, you don't have to. You don't, not just endure it, but you receive it. You see it as a gift. I am forever amazed at Job and his endurance, and but he went so far beyond that. Job. Going through all he went through, said the Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. Now listen, anybody can say that. Anybody can say that. But he went on and said something else that made him stand hand and shoulders above the people of this world that I know anything about. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord took away. And then he said this, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Now when you say that, you are beginning to triumph in your suffering. When you receive it as a gift, When you do that, you've stopped fighting God. You just simply say, Lord, I receive it as a gift. You've got a problem. You've been praying about that problem. You've prayed it through, and it seems like God has a higher plan, and God isn't giving you the faith to pray that you might escape it. Just listen. Don't merely endure it, but enlist it. Receive it as a gift from the Lord. and Say, God, teach me through this suffering. This thorn in my flesh, this thorn in my spirit, whatever it is, teach me through it. Make me stronger. Show your glory through it. Now, secondly, you not only receive it as a gift, rely on God's grace. Now, this is a secret to getting through suffering. You rely on God's grace. I, I, I love verse 9. And he said to me, what? My what? Grace is what? Sufficient for you. You see that? My grace is sufficient for you. And just as the sufferings that we go through are manifold. We're told in the scriptures we have manifold sufferings. That is a word. I've looked it up this morning. It means many colored, very colors. Boy, aren't sufferings just different kind. Aren't they just suffering? And you walk in on a church on a Sunday morning, you're ready to preach and worship, and you get a phone call. I don't even usually answer phone calls on Sunday morning. Some of you got a phone call yesterday. Didn't even know this stuff was going to happen. But listen, different as day and night, but even so, the grace of God is much sore, much more so. You know, in scriptures, we're told there are different kinds of grace. There's saving grace. There, did you know there's singing grace? Did you know that? Some of us, I really need that. The Bible says, sing with grace in your heart. I tell you, when God gave it, when Paul and Silas got thrown into prison, God gave them singing grace. 
Would you have been singing? I probably wouldn't have. There's speaking grace. The Bible says, let your speech always be seasoned with what? Grace. God will give you the ability to talk about your troubles even with grace. And then, dear friend, they're sacrificing grace, giving grace. And the Bible speaks of Christians in a place called Macedonia who in their deep, abounding affliction and poverty were given grace to sacrifice and give to the church at Jerusalem. That was far better off than they were, but they had been suffering. And, and, and it says the grace of God allowed them out of their affliction and poverty to give. Their strength and grace. Paul told Timothy, be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy was often sick. Timothy had a lot of infirmities, but there was the grace of God to strengthen. And all these mentions of grace, the grace was not there to take away the problem. The manifold grace of God was there to sustain the believer in the problem and through the problem. You spend time when you get grace in God's Word and you draw from this great, great well of God's grace when you're suffering. I'll tell you this, when you do that, Charles Spurgeon said one time, the promises of God never shone so brightly as they do in the furnace of affliction. And you're going to find out that when your problem comes, if you'll get into the Word of God, this book will burst a flame in your hand. It'll fill your heart with hope and strength and joy in the suffering. For God is especially near to those who suffer. You receive it as a gift. After you receive it, you rely on the grace of God in the, in the suffering. Because He's going to be near you in a very special way. And finally, this is the end result. You reflect the glory of God. You got it? You receive it as a gift. You rely on the grace of God. And you will reflect the glory of God. If you look at verse 10, and I'm finished. Therefore, Paul said, I mean, that's the whole result of the whole thing. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. I think the Apostle Paul, without a doubt, is, the, in my mind, the greatest Christian and missionary of whom I have ever heard. I've not studied one in history who, who, who more greatly and more aptly and more beautifully displayed the glory of God and the change of God and a missionary heart than the Apostle Paul. And God knew exactly what it was going to take to make this man an educated, prideful Pharisee in the flesh before he came to Christ. The servant, humble servant of Christ that he ought to be. And Paul's great motive was to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And for Paul, Paul's pain actually became a platform and a pulpit from which to glorify God, and he used it well. Everybody suffers. Everybody. Whether you're saved or you're lost, Christian or non-Christian, you're going to suffer. But isn't it wonderful to know that the Christian has the op option and the privilege to use our suffering to glorify the Lord? Huh. I, I mean, the unsaved, they suffer for nothing. 
But you, through the power of God, can make suffering your servant. You say, Pastor, it hurts. I know. I know. I know. I know it really does. I know. I know. I'm not trying to diminish it. And God may make you, or God may allow you to hurt. But I will say this. Now listen to me. He, he does allow us to hurt, doesn't he? At times he may make us hurt. But listen to me. God will never hurt you. He will never harm you. He's always making us better. So you, how do you pray about it? You, you pray to escape at first. If that doesn't work and God doesn't do it, then you can pray to endure it or, or, or. You can pray to enlist it. You say, God, this, I don't understand it, but Lord, use this pain, use this sickness, use this illness to glorify you. <coughs> and you do that by receiving it as a gift from God, by relying on the grace of God in the suffering. And then and only then can you fully reflect the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, I am learning this, these truths as as I preach them, I'm sure I'll be learning them tomorrow. But I thank you, Lord, that I found them this week. You led me to these truths. And thank you for changing my heart and preparing my heart for what was coming up. So, Lord, use our suffering. Use our aging process or our hurting backs or use wayward children or use a thousand trials and sufferings to strengthen us and help us to reflect your glory and rely on your grace by receiving the of it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask us all just to stand up together if you could. Do you, are you suffering? Are you going through a tough time in your yard? We always open up the front down here, and uh, we call it the altar. It's a place for you or I or anyone else to come and pray, and you won't be bothered if you need prayer from your pastor. I'll pray for you. I'll pray with you. Uh, but if God's spoken, this is the time to respond. We call it the invitation, but we're inviting you to respond. To make a conscious decision, how will my life change as a result of this message. Maybe you need to come down front today and say, God, just fall on your face and say, God, I've been looking at this thing all wrong. Today I receive this as a gift because you're growing me. You're helping me. Oh God, I'm, I, you might pardon I thank you for and you fill in the blank. I thank you for and you fill in the blank. It'll change your life. Let's, let's just respond to the message.